So I'm going to show you a video. In the video is a man by the name of Charles Krauthammer. Uh, Charles Krauthammer is um, a Pulitzer Prize winner, I believe. Um, he had a skiing accident and became paralyzed and was the first person to graduate from med school, psychiatrist, um, completely paralyzed, did his studies. And so he gives an assessment tonight. Um, and there's a lot of things that I disagree with with Charles Krauthammer, but uh, the one tonight is pretty epic. So, and, and what it'll do is when you see it, it'll facilitate our, our conversation that we have at the end and you'll have a chance to kind of ponder things. And what I would ask is, um, again, let's just set the parameters. When we do the question and answer, it's, I don't mind comments, but don't bloviate because a lot of people want to share. And if you have a question, make a question. Um, and, and we're not here so much to list all of the, the failures and problems, uh, because trust me, I, I can do that and take the entire evening. I'm, I'm really looking for solutions and ideas. I want us to be creative and think outside the box and come up with concepts on it. Tonight, uh, we're going to take a look at, um, is it up there? Do we have the slides ready to roll? Yeah, they're there. Oh, there we go. Okay. So, um, Before I go to the first slide, I just wanted to share with you, um, President Trump had the uh, bipartisan meeting. I don't know if you saw that. And and what's the issue that they're they're dealing with currently? DACA. Does anyone know what DACA stands for? Yes. Deferred action for childhood arrival. If we had a certificate, I'd give it to you. So we have DACA, and we're looking at 11 million illegal immigrants. What do we do with them? They're in the country right now. What do we do with them? Um, we, we've been going back and forth. And then we have this thing where, where children are born here. Um, and, and then folks are saying, well, they're anchor babies. And we're going through the whole mindset on that. Um, one of the reasons why, why President Trump was elected, and he said this continually. Remember, he said, we're going to... Uh, well, I don't know what happened. It all disappeared. Oh, there we go. We're going to build the wall. And then who's going to pay for it? Okay. And, and everybody loved it. I mean, it, it gets this response in the high 70s when it's polled. Um, and, and it's interesting that way. And, and America's always been, bring us our, you're tired, you're poor, right? And you go, past, you go through Ellis Island. Um, I know a number of folks who came through Ellis Island. One lady in particular, I interviewed her. She lost her entire family except for one sister, and she came from a family of 11 children. She lost all of her family except for one sister. Mother and da- dad died in front of her eyes. They were murdered. The Turks did it in the Armenian Holocaust. Uh, a million Armenians were massacred by the Turks. They immigrated through Ellis Island. There's a picture of her in Ellis Island as a child. I interviewed her, um, and I want, she's, she's since passed. And I interviewed her, and I, I asked her to recount her experience. And this is, this is what I got. She sat down and she said, um, well, and her eyes went up to the right and she started crying and she said, I don't want to do this. This woman was in her nineties and she couldn't recount or share with me any of the instances, but she did say this. She composed herself and she said, what I can't, or she said, what I, I choose not to remember is a result of my entrance into the United States because I've had a life here. And that's what I want to remember. I choose to forget that. I want to remember this. That's pretty profound, isn't it? Um, And so we look at this idea. If you you move to Japan and you live in Japan and your children are born in Japan and you're of Scottish descent like me and you become a citizen of Japan, guess what you will never become? Japanese. Japanese. You'll never become Japanese. But in the United States, look around the room, we're Americans. This is like a salad and there's dressing and we've got tomatoes and we've got some lettuce over here, we've got some onions, <laughs> bacon bits. <laughs> and, and we are an interesting nation And as we've studied, as we went through the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are what? Endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights. 
And then what's the word that started the revolution? We've studied this. What's the word in the Declaration of Independence that started the revolution? Consent. Consent. The consent of the governed. Now, the correlation, the corollary is if we're equal and we're not equal in capacity, we've covered this and we're going to continue to cover it because it needs to be ingrained in us. We're not equal in capacity. I was standing next to a young kid and I said, look, I I probably could take you. And he said, yeah. I said, I'm a little bit older, but I got more girth and probably more muscle. And I've been doing this a while and I probably could wrestle you to the ground and take you. He goes, right. And I said, so physically we're not equal. No. And I said, financially, you don't even have a job. And I, I, I got you beat there. And he goes, yep. I said, education wise, I got you beat. And he said, yep. I said, so in capacity, we're not equal, but where are we equal? And he, he considered that and he thought about it. And I said, we're equal. We're, what's that? In dignity, right? We're equal in dignity. We're all created in the image of God and we're been, we've been created equal, endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. He can't put a lien on them, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. We have those. And, and so it, it's fitting to say that if we're equal, the corollary is if we're equal in a, the consent of the governed, and this is what happens when you're created equal and you recognize that and you're developing a nation, you have your mission statement and then you have the constitution, which is your, your uh, bylaws. If we're equal, then for Tom here, I would simply say, you know, we're equal and, and, and I want to represent you. Now, I, I have to ask for his permission because if we're equal, he has to give me permission to represent him. Everybody get that? So now we have the consent of the government, which creates a sovereign, which is we, the people. And then the government are those that are our representatives by consent. How do we have that consent? By a vote. We elect the legislature. Then the president is won by the electoral college. And the judges are appointed by the president. And so you divest the powers. But the sovereign itself, which is we the people, are outside the government. And so we have this nation where we have this idea of equal representation. And we get to remove the bums every two or four years, correct? And apparently because of um, me wanting to move up to Dos Vientos, the church, they want to do a recall for me as a city councilman. Fascinating, posing that. So... um, and you know what? If that is something that moves them, they have that ability to do that. This is a great country, isn't it? Yes? For those of you who aren't agreeing, I, where are you going? So this idea of build the wall. Now we're in contention, 11 million illegal immigrants. Um, and, and to even use the term today, illegal, is, is thought in some circles to be an anathema. And, and he, because we're a nation that has always welcomed immigrants, we've always welcomed immigrants. So what we're going to take a look at is one of the most contentious of the amendments. We saw the first amendment last week, and we're going to take a look at an amendment that was established early on in our nation's history. It's the 14th amendment. Here it is. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and everyone say, and yeah. now, you know what that means? In addition to right. And in addition to. Subject to the jurisdiction. Everyone say subject to the jurisdiction. jurisdiction. I should have added thereof. Subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privilege or immunities of citizens of the United States. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Nor deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. That is the 14th Amendment. So from the 14th Amendment which occurred, uh, a change occurred in the late 1800s. And I'll go over that case momentarily. It was a Chinese man that changed the course of the 14th Amendment. But prior to that passage, uh, when when that that case went before the Supreme Court, the way that they looked at this idea, all persons born or naturalized in the United States. So what does that mean? If you're born here, what? Everybody awake tonight. What does it mean? You get it wrong. I'm not going to jump on you. Just come on, think. You're a citizen. Okay. So if you're, if you're born or naturalized in the United States, you're a citizen. Is that fair enough to say? Well, what does the word and mean? And subject to the jurisdictions thereof. So you have a Korean family that comes to the United States on vacation. Their child is born here. Is that child a U.S. citizen? According to what they wrote. No. No. No, because the parents are subject to the jurisdictions of Korea. They're not U.S. citizens. They have to go back to the land, and the child is subject to the parents. 
Why did they give us the 14th Amendment? What was the purpose of the 14th Amendment? It was very clear the purpose of the 14th Amendment. This idea of, and, and there's three problems with immigration, and I'll go through these. The first problem with immigration is this idea of birthright citizenship. Birthright citizenship. All of you have been conditioned to read the 14th Amendment and say that is birthright citizenship. I, I pretty much heard the consensus in the room. Was I off? So this idea of birthright citizenship is actually something that our founders sought to avoid. Did you know that? Yeah. I want to read to you, um, it, was, uh, it was a very famous case, uh, Calvin's case in 1608, and this was written by Sir Ed, Edward Cote. He was an English jurist, and um, he was referring to the, the Calvin's case. He says, allegiance is a true and faithful obedience of the subject due to his sovereign. This allegiance or obedience is an incident inseparable to every subject, for as soon as he is born, he oweth by birthright legions and obedience to his sovereign. So what they're saying is, if you're born in the territory that the king holds, you are a subject to the king. Now, why is it that we have the Declaration of Independence? Who are we breaking away from? The king. The king, the king was the sovereign. Who's the sovereign in America? We the people. In the sovereign, which is a monarchy, an oligarchy, we've covered all this. We are a democratic republic. We're a constitutional republic. And in the constitutional republic, the sovereign is established as a people. In every other government in the world in that sense, at that time, the most popular form of government, the king is the sovereign and we are his subjects. And if you're born in his territory, if you're born in his territory, he's going to protect you in your birth and provide for you. But you owe your allegiance to him. That is birthright citizenship. You are part of my plantation. Hello? When was the 14th Amendment written? It was written very soon after the Declaration of Independence. Or excuse me, the U.S. Constitution. Say it again. 1868. No, yes, 1886. You haven't transposed. It's all right. And so, so with this, what were they seeking to do? It was very simple. We had a common enemy, which was Great Britain, yes? We had just won a war. We were devastated. We were in debt. We were struggling. We were trying to get allegiances with other countries. France had helped us, but they were having their own issue with the French Revolution. And the British were reassembling their forces, and we would have the War of 1812, and, and we knew they were coming after us. And so we had to unify these colonies and it's like you go into an emergency room and you have an enormous lump on your neck, which is cancerous, and everyone knows it is. But you've been hit by a car and your breathing is, is one lung is collapsed and you have a, a cut on an arterial vein and you're bleeding out. Are they going to first focus on the cancer or are they going to deal with the bleeding? Uh, it's called triage, right? So they understood slavery to be a cancer. That's why we have the three-fifths compromise. Remember we covered that? They knew that slavery was a cancer, but they had to be prepared to be unified for a greater concern, which was Britain invading. You following me so far? So what they did is they said, look, we want to remove slavery from the warp and the woof of the fabric of our country. So they did the three-fifths compromise, and they also put the 14th Amendment in for this idea that any person born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction... So what had happened was slave traders went and took these African-Americans from their homeland, brought them to the United States. They're now three, four, five generations in. They don't even know where they're from. They have no idea how to get back to where they were. It's a distant memory. They don't have cell phones. They don't have connections. All connections, to, they don't even know what part of Africa they're from. They're, they're, they, they have been placed on a plantation. They're now generations into it, and they are under the sovereignty of a master who has taken away all their rights and their subjects to the sovereign. They're slaves. And so our founders looked at it and said, no, 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 we have to figure out how to get them back into the United States without going back to this feudal idea of a sovereign and this birthright citizenship that you're born into the nation, thus you become one of the citizens. 
And so this case that, they, that, that, that Sir Edward Coate listed of Calvin's case is exactly what English feudal law was. You are subject to the sovereign and the sovereign is required to care for you. And our American founders, our founders said, no, we have to remove this. Uh, basically, it says, they that, were, they that are born under the obedience, power, faith, legality, or line- allegiance of the king are natural citizens and no aliens. It means you are tied to the land of your birth. And that irritated the founders because they had just left that. The sovereign owes you protection, but you owe the sovereign lifelong obedience. The sovereign could release you, but you could not expatriate yourself. You can't leave his kingdom because you're his subject. You can't leave the plantation. Tracking me? Hello? Birthright citizenship is clearly to the founders a throwback to European feudalism. They were not in favor of it. They rejected this concept. And I wanted to share with you, James Wilson, uh, under the Constitution, he says, there are no subjects... Under the Constitution, excuse me, under the Constitution, there are citizens, but no subjects. Let me repeat that. James Wilson, a founder, he said, under the Constitution, there are no citizens, there are citizens, under the Constitution, there are citizens, but no subjects. What does that mean? Huh? You're free. We're not beholden to our ruler. We're not subjects. We can expatriate ourselves. We can come back in. We can go back out. But when we agree in a body politic under a series of laws, we become what? A citizen. A citizen. They wanted to emphasize this. Citizenship is a free self-governing regime based on founding principles. It's something different from subjection. Do you understand that? You get that? We're not subject to a king. We're citizens agreeing as equals with a representation unlike any nation on the face of the earth. This is important, and you'll understand in a moment. Uh, The Massachusetts Constitution, 1780. Uh, I'm going to read that to you in a moment, but here's a picture of the fellow that created this idea of birthright citizenship and the transformation of the 14th Amendment where all of us have been conditioned now to believe that if you're born here, you're a U.S. citizen. Here he is. And his name right there, Wong Kim Ark. Supreme Court decision in the case of Chinese born in America, the case of the United States against uh, Wong Kim Ark was decided by the U.S. Supreme Court. Yesterday, Justice Gray handing down the opinion of the court. The case was appealed by the United States from District Court for the Northern District of California and involved citizenship of a person born in this country of Chinese parents, which had never hitherto been decided by the Supreme Court. Yesterday's uh, decision will have an effect confirming the citizenship of such persons. So it changed everything. That ruling in in, in the state of California now created a transformation of the 14th Amendment that you now, if you're born here, you're a U.S. citizen, which was never the case in regards to our founders. Our founders established it for one purpose, slaves, to give them citizenship and get them off the plantation. This is a kind of a, a progressive approach to um, Wong Kim Ark. The case was in 1898, fought for the 14th Amendment rights, set an important legal precedent for citizenship. If you were born here, you it should say are a citizen but exclusion is still legal. Um, here's the Massachusetts Constitution, and I, I did a clip, so it's going to be a little blurry. But it says, the body politic is formed by voluntary association of individuals. It is a social compact by which the whole people covenants with each citizen and each citizen with the whole people that all shall be governed by certain laws for the common good. So, what is the United States of America? We're body politic. What does that mean? It means the body politic is formed by voluntary association, not birthright. Hello? Voluntary association of individuals. It is a social compact by which the whole people covenants with each citizen and each citizen with the whole people that, are, uh, that shall be governed by certain laws for the common good. Simply put, if we're equals and we have laws established, the group of American citizens listed here, the social compact by the whole people covenants with each citizen. So you agree that you're going to operate by X, Y, and Z. We welcome you into the United States if you abide by our laws. You tracking me? 
If you don't, is that a social compact and are we equals? No. No. This idea of immigration rights versus uh, national security, I'll, I'll cover that in a moment. This is the Virginia Declaration of Rights, which our Declaration of Independence came from. It says that no free government or the blessings of liberty can be preserved to any people, but by a firm adherence to what? Justice, moderation, temperance, frugality, and virtue by frequent recurrence to fundamental principles. So I wanted to read this to you. This Chinese-American cook, Wong Kim Ark, he was born in San Francisco, 17, or 1873. He had been denied re-entry to the United States after a trip abroad under a law restricting Chinese immigration and prohibiting immigrants from China and from becoming naturalized U.S. citizens. He challenged the government's refusal to recognize the citizenship, and the Supreme Court ruled in his favor, holding that the citizenship language in the 14th Amendment encompassed the circumstances of his birth and could be limited in its effect by an act of Congress. Now, I want to read this to you. The case highlighted disagreements over the precise meaning of one phrase in the citizenship clause, namely the provision that a person born in the United States who is subject to the jurisdictions thereof, the jurisdictions thereof. So your parents come from Korea. They're on vacation and they give birth to their child. Or let's go to more common sense you break the laws of our country, you enter into the country illegally, breaking X, Y, and Z, you give birth to your child, not subject to the laws of the nation, is your child immediately considered, by the 14th Amendment, a citizen of the United States? The child is subject to the, to the authority of the parents. The parents have to go back to their home as does the child. If you give birth to your child and you're on vacation in Korea, you go back to Korea because you're subject to the jurisdictions of Korea. You're a Korean citizen and you have the responsibility to take care of your child. You take that child with you. Are you tracking me? Now, if you get into the country illegally, which is we're talking about these folks that have come into the country illegally, their children have grown up in the school district. They've grown up, they speak, they don't even speak the language of, of their parents' native land. They don't know any of that. And we're looking at that going, okay, we're a compassionate people. Yes? And we look at that and we say, well, they're going to go back to a country they've never even been to. And they've been here 18, 20, 21 years, yes? And that's a result of us not applying our laws and not doing these things. And, and we have a porous border. So now we have 11 million that are in here. And, and the idea is give us citizenship. We demand it. Our founders didn't believe that birthright, where you were born, gave you citizenship. You're subject to the jurisdiction, which is very important, and the jurisdiction. And they are subject, the parents are subject to the jurisdiction of the citizenry of the home that they've come from, from the nation they've come from. So we have this issue, this number one issue in regards to immigration of this idea of birthright citizenship. But the second thing we struggle with is immigration rights versus national rights. Immigration rights versus national, national rights. Each person in this room has to agree to be a part of this society. Yes? I promise to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and we, we, we have agreed to citizenship. We have passports that say that. We've agreed to live under the laws of the land. If we don't, we agree to the, the penalties therein. Uh, we vote. We, we serve on juries. We, we pay our taxes. Yes? We serve in our military. It's a mutual consent. It's a relationship of equals. And we've agreed to be a part of this body politic called the United States of America that has a sovereign border and we have laws that we've all agreed to participate in. Now, somebody outside wants to be part of our sovereign land. But they refuse to obey our laws. Can somebody break into your home illegally? They can, sure. Is it right? But wait a minute. They have a need. They're desperate. They're hungry. Is it okay to break into your house now? Well, but they, they, they've come from a very impoverished country. They're very hungry. They're very tired. They, they, they need something to eat. Are they allowed to break the laws? Is the United States of America designed that if we were to describe the United States of America, it would be Brett's home, where Brett lives is the United States of America? 
No, he's part of the body politic. It's the, it, the, the entirety of the United States as a whole is a sovereign land, and that sovereign land has representatives that we've agreed to the federal government that they're going to protect our property, right? I'll show you what I mean. No one should be able to enter your home illegally or your sovereign country illegally. You're welcome to come. We invite you, but we have laws. And the body politic, if you're willing to consent to our laws, we want to invite you in. Now, how are those laws established? Where do we get this from? Very simple. Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution. The Congress shall have power to provide for the common defense and general wear for the United States. Uh, let me go further. This was a bad clip. I have it right here. Congress shall have power to lay and to collect taxes, duties, to borrow money on the credit of the United States, to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes, and to establish a uniform rule of naturalization. So, in a nation where all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, a representative form, the correlation that if we are equal, we have the consent of the governed, we give the federal government consent, we lay out the responsibilities of those representatives in the U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, and we say to the, to the representatives of the legislative body, you have the authority to establish a uniform rule of naturalization. What does that mean? That means if anyone wants to come to the United States, these are the laws that have been established by our legislature. Clear? Now, if you violate those laws and you come into the country and you're, you, do you have the right to be here? You violated the sovereignty of a nation. And that's why American citizens are frustrated. It's not that we were homopho uh, homophobic, Islamophobic, um, uh, Asia, uh, you know, Asian phobic, um, xenophobic. xenophobic. We're not. Look at the room. We have a series of laws that have been established. Now, if you don't like the laws, then go through the body politic, through the process to change those laws but don't violate the laws and then say, we have the right to be here. It's a sovereign nation. We've agreed, we the people, that these are the laws we abide by. What's the problem? Now, we, we say there shouldn't be any borders, right? And this is one of the concepts that we're contending with in ideology in the world, that there shouldn't be any borders. And that would be great if we could trust people, Right? But one of the things that makes America so, so special is that the laws we've established to give freedom to men and women as this idea of equals and representative form of government, the minimal government, the greater the citizen, we have greater rights, greater freedoms than any nation on the face of the earth. We've expanded. We've been, I've gone through all that. The reason why is because the government we've established has these principles that need to be protected. But people say, well, we want access to that. That's fine, but go through the, the Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution to establish a uniform rule of naturalization. Follow the uniform rule of naturalization, and you're welcome to come in. My parents got in. Your parents got in. This is a land of immigrants, correct? Is there anyone in here that's fully, full blood, 100% American Indian? No, but sometimes people will raise their hand. We're all immigrants, but we went through the process of naturalization through the rule of law to say to the sovereign people, we the people, I want to be a part of that. And I, I consent to operate by your series of laws. What does that mean? I'm an equal, you're an equal. Those are the rules. I'll play by them. Everyone got that? Now, what if someone comes in, violates your house or violates your borders and comes in and says, I have every right to be here. They are subjecting you to their sovereignty and telling you what you need to do and that your borders are irrelevant and we can do as we please. Is that acceptable? Would the same people allow all of these folks to come in violating the laws of the sovereign nation, allow them to come in and stay in their home at any time they want? Our representatives have a responsibility not only to protect our private property, but protect the borders of our sovereign nation. Do we understand this? Now, to have a one world government and the kumbaya and that we all put down borders, as soon as you can change the heart of man that we don't have to worry about a Kim Jong-il or a, a Putin or um, um, 
the Venezuelan dictator or the concept, if, if, if everyone starts to understand this idea we're created equal and wants to set up that representative form of government and we're not going to deal with socialism or communism or fascism, then I'd be willing to listen. But right now, there isn't another country on the face of the earth that has what we have, and it's special for a reason, and it needs to be protected. And we would love for you to come in. And we have rules to allow you to come in. But don't violate them and expect us to yield. Birthright citizenship, immigration rights, and national sovereignty. And then the character of citizens. The character of citizens is very important. I want to read this to you. Here it is. Oh, did I pull it up? I wish I had. I lost it. Uh, just a second. Oh. I didn't print it. Doggone it. Well, the character of citizens is listed in the... <clears throat> uh, oh, no, I did, I did read it. It's, uh, I'll go back. The character of citizenships or of citizens is very important. And this is where we get it from the Declaration of Rights. No free government or the blessings of liberty can be preserved to any people but by a firm adherence to these things. So if you want to come to the United States, you have to agree to this. Justice, moderation, temperance, frugality, virtue, and by frequent recurrence to fundamental principles. You need to understand what we're about. You need to go through citizenship classes. You need to understand what a constitutional republic is. You have to understand where we get our rights. You have to understand how our government operates. These things you need to understand if you want to come in and agree with us to be a part of what we're doing. Is there anything wrong with that? No citizen thinks there's anything wrong with it. But here we are embroiled in a debate over the 14th Amendment. And the purpose of the 14th Amendment, let's reverse it. Are you allowed to come into this country and, and subject the sovereign nation to your dominance to declare, I won't obey your laws and you owe me citizenship? How about this? Can the United States go to another country, steal its citizens, and force them into the United States? Hello? No. Well, we did, and that's why they gave us the 14th Amendment. It was called slavery. And we wanted to remedy that with the 14th Amendment. We wanted people to realize that you are equal, and we can't force you to be here, and if you want to come in, you can't force yourself on us. We are a people that believes in the equality, but you must agree to those principles if we're going to welcome you in. There's nothing wrong with that. You've been indoctrinated to believe everything else and that you are not compassionate, you're not concerned, you're not caring. Why is everyone coming here? The walls in North Korea are built to keep people in. Ours are built to keep people out, and ours aren't very good. Why? And, and here's the thing that Reagan said about East Germany. He said, you have a wall and your guns are not facing towards West Germany. Your guns are facing towards your own people. Why? Because it's a plantation. Why are people fleeing there to come here? Because we have freedom. Why? Because we have a body politic that's been established by our mission statement and our articles of confederation or, or, or our constitution, which would be our bylaws, to simply state there are rules that you must agree to if you want to be a part of the society we've developed. Is there anything wrong with saying that? But somehow, we have come to this idea that there's no such thing as a sovereign state. Where did that come from? Progressivism. Progressivism. Now, why do we have borders? Why don't we all just submit to Sharia law? I've often said, I've often said that the progressive movement, the, this progressive idea is a religion disguised as a political practice. Islam is a political practice disguised as a religion. We want to come in under the guise of religion and we want to have you subject, and we covered this last week, we want to have you subject to our laws and those laws would, would take away your equality. And if those laws, if we have a freedom of religion, freedom of speech, but you impose your will upon another human being and take away their equality, now we have an issue, right? 
And we covered that last week with the First Amendment. Freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of, uh, freedom of religion, freedom of peaceably assemble for right of redress of grievances against government. But the 14th Amendment is we have a sovereign border and, and, and Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution says there are laws of naturalization. We, we welcome you, but you must abide by those laws. And if you don't, you are not treating us as equals. You are subjecting us to your will and violating our laws and, and, and usurping our sovereignty. Anybody get that? Now, does that make us not compassionate? How many people live in a dwelling? Okay, we have a lot of people displaced, and I'm going to force them from the fires and the mudslides. I'm going to force them into your house. And I'm just going to pick who I want to put in your home. And we also have, we're inundated with foster kids, and we're inundated in the prison system, and we need to get some of the inmates out. So I'm going to put them in your house. Hello? So would you all sign up at the end of the service for that? I have no right to do that to the sovereignty of your home, and no one has a right to do that to the sovereignty of our nation, and no one's allowed to break into your home or break into your country. Is that clear? I'm going to show you a video, and then you guys can attack me later. (laughs) Would you guys run the video for me? Charles Krauthammer. Interesting guy. Has two objectives. One, to regain control of our borders so that we decide who enters. And two, to find a humane way to deal with the 11 million illegal immigrants who now live among us. Start with the second. For both practical and moral reasons, America cannot and will not and should not expel 11 million people. That leaves us with two choices. Ignore them or figure out a way to legalize them. Ignoring them hasn't worked. But there's also a huge problem with legalization. It creates an irresistible incentive for new illegal immigrants to come. We say, of course, that this will be the very last, very final, never again, we're not kidding this time, amnesty. And everyone knows it's phony. That's what was said in 1986 when we passed the Simpson-Mazzoli immigration reform. It turned out to be the largest legalization program in American history. Nearly three million people got permanent residency. There was no enforcement. We now have 11 million new illegal immigrants in our midst. The irony of this whole debate, which bitterly splits the country, is that there is a silver bullet that would not just solve the problem, but also create a national consensus behind it. A vast number of Americans who oppose legalization and fear new waves of immigration would change their minds if we could radically reduce new, i.e. future, illegal immigration. And we can. First, build a barrier. Call it a wall, call it a fence, call it what you will. Add cameras and sensors, add drones, beef up the patrols, all that matters is that we regain control of the border. Fences work. The triple fence outside San Diego led to a 90% reduction in infiltration. Israel's border fence with the West Bank produced a similar decline. Even holier-than-thou Europeans have conceded the point. Hungary, Macedonia, Bulgaria, Austria, Greece, Spain, why even Norway have all started building border fences to stem the tide of Middle Eastern refugees. Then enforce two other measures, a national e-verify system that makes it just about impossible to work if you are here illegally, and a functioning visa tracking system since 40% of illegal immigrants are visa overstays. The wall fence will, of course, be ugly. So are the concrete barriers to keep truck bombs from driving into the White House. Sometimes function has to supersede form. And don't tell me that this is our Berlin Wall. When you build a wall to keep people in, that's a prison. When you build a wall to keep people out, that's an expression of sovereignty. Of course, no barrier will be foolproof, but it doesn't have to be. It simply has to reduce the river to a manageable trickle. Once we do, Everything becomes possible, including dealing with our 11 million illegal immigrants. So let's fix that. 
track the visas? Do we verify? Build the damn barrier. It's ridiculous to say that it can't be done. And who would certify that the border is back in our control? I would have a neutral party, perhaps a commission of retired jurists, issue the judgment. Once they do, we legalize the 11 million, granting them the right to stay and work here. We can't give them citizenship. That's a bridge too far. You don't get to join the political destiny of the country by entering it illegally. But any children born here would be American, which means that over time, the issue resolves itself. The American people are legitimately angry at the price American society has paid due to illegal immigration. But they are also a generous people. Once they're assured that we do indeed control our borders, that anger will abate. A national consensus will emerge. Radical border control followed by radical legalization. No mushy compromise. A solution requires two acts of national will. Putting up a wall along with the verify and visa tracking and absorbing those who broke our laws to come to America. This is not a compromise meant to appease both sides without achieving anything. It's not some piece of hybrid legislation that arbitrarily divides illegals into those with five-year-old roots in America and those without, or some such mischief-making nonsense. If we do it right, not only will we solve the problem, we will get it done as one nation. I'm Charles Krauthammer for Prager University. That's good. Um, each person has to agree to be part of the society. Mutual consent equals relationship of equals. If people come and they violate our laws, X, Y, and Z, coming to the U.S. in contraven- contravention of our laws to impose their will of our laws and living here illegally, uh, and basically saying, I don't care, I'm going to do what I want to do, at that point, there's not a relationship of equals. And as I said earlier, if you reverse it, you have the reason for the 14th Amendment. And then I wanted to share this with you. Consent to live in society, you must give consent. And the idea is this is a sovereign territory. We regulate ingress. That's the reason for the wall, to protect sovereignty. Not a prison, but to protect sovereignty. People can't enter your house, and society has a right to its property, and we have a right to our sovereignty. Non-citizens have no right to be here, nor does the alien have the right to establish himself as the lawful superior now existing in the United States. We are a relationship of equals. This is how we were designed. This is how we operate. This is what's given us significance. It's not that we're xenophobic. It's that we have a system of laws to establish this idea of equals. And when you consent to that and operate through our naturalization that's established by the government we've put together, we the people, then we can operate in that context. All the rest of it and all the arguments and everything and how it's going to be paid for and who's going to do it and all those other things. The reality is, is the United States of America sovereign? Do we agree and consent to the rule of law? And if you want to enter and we are going to continue with this consent of equal, then you must abide by our laws as we abide by those laws. There's nothing mystical about that. So it's 740 I don't have anything else to say. I'm going to open it up for questions. Yes. Um, how would we address um, the discrepancy in, in the cost? For, for example, we have, uh, you know, the, the illegal populace in California is um, costing us $30 billion. They put back into the system approximately $3 billion via sales tax and other participation taxes. Uh, you know, naturalizing the, this $11 million, is there any way to address that? someone who just comes here and wants to uh, draw up the system and not put anything back in. Yeah. The system's established that you're a citizen, you get to draw benefits. If you're not, that needs to be established as well. If you, and if you've paid sales tax, the idea is, can you participate in Social Security? This is set for citizens. That was the initial in, in, intent of it. Um, California would be the hardest hit, as would other uh, states that have a huge immigration population. But most of those states that have that, New York, uh, California, some of the western states, some of the border states, with the exception of certain areas of Texas and the like, 
um, they're the states that you have the most progressive mindset. And so, yeah, they're going to be the most affected by it. To answer your question, I don't have an answer to it. I don't know. We will be hit just like we are with the federal tax law. This idea that they, they tax us with one of the largest income tax in the country, and, and now we're only allowed a $10,000 deduction on state income tax, where it used to be the entirety of it. And so somebody in Ohio who has a smaller income tax and can't deduct it, somebody in California gets to deduct the whole lion's share of it. And that gives this state the opportunity to take more of the federal dollars that Ohio doesn't get. And all they're simply saying is, that's no longer fair. Well, that hurts us as citizens of California. But the reality is, we're the ones who allowed those representatives to establish those taxes. So we're either going to do one of two things. We're going to throw the bums out or we're going to move. So I thought I'd tell you that. I don't want to move. I like California. Yeah, Billy. So not so much a question, but a statement. Thank you. Yes. Have you seen the memos uh, from the Democrats that say the purpose of the DACA uh, situation is to bring in more voters for them? And what would you say about these 11 million? To the best of my ability, I, I attempt to avoid politics. Um, and this is one of those areas, and this is ideology. Um, so so the, the, the viewpoint that Carolyn's putting out is um, the openness towards illegal immigration by a certain party is the purpose is to get more in their voting block. It's been, relax. It's, it's been estimated that 1 million to 5.3 million voted in the last election. Um, and that, that is unacceptable. I haven't seen concrete. I've seen, you know, polarizing statements, but doing my homework, I haven't been able to confirm either of those numbers, but I would say that, that there are those quite frankly, there are those that are, that is their purpose. Uh, they, they, they do not agree with a constitutional Republic. They think that the, the constitution itself is, a a dead document or a living document that can be translated any way they want. Um, and, and it's dangerous. And, and I, I struggle with that tremendously. So yeah, I do think there is a faction of folks that that is their mindset. That's their ideology. That's what they want to accomplish. Okay. Another one. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're contending with ideologies and the ideology is what, what is the future of mankind and being taught the only place that socialism, fascism, communism works is in, in, uh, the universities because they're subsidized by those who are going to work every day. Um, in the ash heap of history, uh, you know, when, when the iron curtain came down, communism failed. The very first thing that Western Europe wanted to do was to embrace a failed system that we just witnessed. And, and this is the idea that's, that's espoused in universities that this is a utopia. It's, it, it, the reason why they hold these positions and these seats is because folks like us don't. And they've, they've, they've established themselves in these areas. There has to be, we can sit back and, and be upset about it or we can contend for the hearts and minds of men and women. The idea is, most young people have no clue. They think capitalism is evil. They've been taught that. But I just go right back to the original statement. When did we lose the idea to be able to have an influence at the local level? How many people were at Tuesday night school board meeting? 
How many people were at the city council meeting? We just contended and, and, and voted last night on something that would affect all the citizens of Thousand Oaks. And I saw a handful of, of, of the folks from our fellowship there dealing with Measure E. Some people liked my vote, others didn't. But the reality is they had a voice and they spoke. And, and this is what we've been given. If we don't participate in it, we lose it. If we don't participate in it, we lose it. And you can't sit back and say, ah, it's going to hell in a handbag. You've got to step in and participate. And this is why you have to be a part of the, the solution where you put people into office. And what is, the, what is the first thing we do when someone comes up and asks you, will you support my run for candidacy? What do we do? What are the seven articles of the U.S. Constitution? How many amendments are there, right? Because you're going to swear to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Could you please, please recite that for me and tell me how you're going to do that? But if we don't know it, how do we hold them accountable to do it? Right? That's the whole point of creating a citizenry to protect the sovereignty of a constitutional republic. If we don't do that work, we can't contend for the sovereignty of a nation designed and only able to operate with the people who are an educated citizenry. Educated in why is it that a constitutional republic is superior to fascism, socialism, communism, ism, oligarchy, etc. We must participate. Clear? I don't know if that answered your question, Caroline, but I just thought I got my soapbox. Yep. This is the thing that Krauthammer said. <clears throat> There's two parts about it, the American psyche. One is we want a system of laws. We want a wall. It is, it's, it's overwhelming when you, when you poll the American populace. We want a wall. We want our sovereignty. We like America, but we're also very heartfelt and we're compassionate. So they're in and we're looking at, we're saying they got in because they had a way to get in. So the first thing we need to do is build a wall, like Krauthammer was saying, build a wall, establish it, and then we can work with the compassion later, but let's stop. You know, if, if you've got a Montecito, the rains hit, floods came down. First thing you got to do is route the water and figure out how to fix that and do these. That's what we have to do. The very first thing is defend the sovereignty of the access points and then deal with the problem. So your question is, what do we do with them? You know what? When you pose that question to the American people, they're divided. It's almost 50-50 because there is a compassionate heart. And even the ones that are on this side or on that side see both sides of it. But the lion's share of Americans say, just stop the problem with the wall. Then we can deal with that later. But where, where are those, a lot of those kids down You're asking me? Well, I mean, you're what, what? <laughs> well, I, I've had a full day. I haven't been able to track them. I'm sorry to, No, Mm-mm. we we did know that some landed in Port Wyneme, and um, and here here's a compassionate thing. We as a church sent some supplies over to help them, but we had no intention or desire to have them in the United States. But we saw them as people and wanted to care for them. But the idea is, through no legislative action, you're forcing this on us. We were upset about that, so we were divided as well. We were upset about it, but we also saw human beings. That has to do with my Christian conviction. So that, that is a perfect example. And, and they had all kinds of, you know, I think smallpox or something they were dealing with, a break, an outbreak there. So yeah, it, it is. It's one of those things where we're divided in our compassion. But the one thing we can agree on for the most part is seal the sovereignty, protect the border, period. And that's what I really enjoyed about the conversation with the president today when he was doing with the bipartisan council. And they said, so are you giving up on the wall? He said, no, we're going to build the wall. We're going to build the wall. I hope he does. Yes. Other than the wall, what other distances? Everyone's asking questions. You're not giving solutions. Go ahead. What is it now? I, I don't, yeah. Other than the wall that Krauthammer said was the best answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I thought it was a very um, 
creative solution with E-Verify and, and establishing you know, work visas and not giving them citizenship, but allowing them to work here. Their children then could be a part of the, the system. And I, I thought that was a kind of a healthy approach to it. Um, I don't figure it out. Come up with some solutions. But I can tell you right now, the wall's one of them. I'll come to you in a second, Brett. Somebody had a question here? Yeah, right here. Uh, I'll get here and here and then to Brett. Yeah, yeah, we can build that wall. It's it, it's a federal mandate, so yeah, it, it, you can do um, eminent domain, a number of other things. Yeah, yes. Uh, that her comment is part of the solution. If you didn't hear that. Uh, you're you're out of turn, man. Right here. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna cover that in a second. I, I sh- sh- good. Amen. I have a, I want to address that. Yes. Okay. So you talked about being well, the 14th Amendment talked about being born or naturalized. So you you said right. founders intended it for just naturalization only. Is that correct? They intended it for slaves. Because you're a citizen of the United States. She goes through the process of education in school. Is that process naturalization? I mean, is that, is that what they're thinking? That yeah. Well, in the school system, they're being naturalized. Yeah. The, the, the idea is naturalization and, as they added, the jurisdiction yeah. wherein you reside. So what they're saying is they're, they're creating exception for somebody who's a citizen and has a homeland and they come here, their child is born, that doesn't qualify. Now, when they had the, the um, Juan case, that changed it. But prior to that, you couldn't get naturalization if, if a child was born here. You still went back to the jurisdiction of your parents' sovereign land. All right, hang on. Let me, let me come over here. Your question in regards to educating the populace. One of the things I really liked about Calvin Coolidge, which there's not a lot. <laughs> Calvin Coolidge looked at um, this influx of immigration into the United States. And uh, at the time, there's a, you know, I think the, the preeminent immigration class was Italians and Irish. So what he did, and they got together in a, a group he set up what they called um, cultural centers. And he set up these cultural centers and they put out the flag of Italy and they'd have, you know, Italian food cooking and they'd give language lessons in English and the people that manned it were speaking Italian and they were, and what they did is they brought them in and they started to educate them. And, And Coolidge did it for political purposes to start to build this, this class of people towards his political ideas. Well, and some of you are going to be upset with me, but one of the things I said, uh, I was meeting with a bunch of Mormon leaders, um, and, and they were struggling over this because this is something that they're trying to wrap their mind around, as every citizen of the United States is. And I said, you know, you have these, um, these buildings at every community college, university, every school area above high school education, so college, community college, trade schools. You've established these buildings, and I forget what they call them uh, in Mormonism, no, they're not wards. They're, they're, it's, it's by the university, and it's to deal with the students in the university, and they set them up. I said, I remember there was one at, at Fresno State, and that building was always vacant. And I said, I know what you guys want to do. You're trying to you know, appeal to educated class. You want to have folks to be able to come in and understand your theology, et cetera, et cetera. But, but most of those now exist in inner cities and complicated areas that, that we're trying to figure out, why don't you set up what Coolidge did and most of your 
most of your missionaries speak the languages. You've all been educated in language. Why don't you set up to create citizenship? And they've actually started to do it in Oxnard now. Now, if I tried to do that in the evangelical church and said that, they go, oh, that's a great idea. Whatever. I mean, we would talk about it till we're blue in the face, but we wouldn't do it. But they're, they're working on it. I just thought that was fascinating. So maybe I've done something wrong. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, so these are solutions. You've got to think that way. Coolidge was a great insight on that. Uh, We've got three minutes, maybe two more questions. Kim, One yeah? One of the things I observed in the Kautheimer film was it was the importance of the order because partly he established the, the fact that you are going to get not citizenship, but you're going to get legalization to remain here. To work here, right? And to have your children become citizens? The wall has to be built first, right? Right. That drives the incentive for even the 11 million to support the building of the wall. Right. Yep, they have a greater opportunity. So, question. Yes, Mike. How do we get E-Verify moving forward? Because I didn't hear E-Verify during the discussion for half a million to serve President Trump. And then as an example, LA Unified School District Uh, yeah, it, we're, there's going to be a battle for it, no doubt. But the wall begins first. That that is that would be the smartest thing to do right now, uh, over here. Yeah. I heard I heard forty billion, but yeah. You know what's you know what's interesting? Okay, solutions to the delay and the building of it. I, I would I would say this. Uh, in a very short amount of time, and I grant it's a shorter distance, the Israelis built a wall, and I watched that thing go up like that. Everything I'm hearing about this wall is to me chatter. I think that thing can be built so quickly. I mean, it's just like, boom. I, with the, and you see what the Israelis did, and it's, it, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's function over form, but it is, and, and it just reduced all of their bombings and the issues, and to the point where the President of the United States moves the embassy to Jerusalem and declares it to be the capital. They haven't moved the embassy yet, but they've declared it to be the capital. And everyone said the Middle East is going to melt down and Jerusalem is going to be a firestorm. Nothing. Nothing. To the point where what they don't say in the news is there's another, what, 15 countries that have done the same thing now and followed suit. You don't see that in the news. Uh, okay, last one, Jim. Oh, did you have a question? I'll, I'll go ladies first. Nope, sorry, Jim. Go ahead. I didn't have a question. I just, uh, I, I'm, hi. Hi. It's all right. Very interesting. I just have a We're going back to Bible study in two weeks, so okay. hang in there. Very interesting. Glad I stayed. Um, my own, the thing that's pounding in my heart is um, I just, the wall has to be built. But um, the thing about it is, you know, it's so scriptural. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, when you think about it. Yeah, God it. creates so, boundaries and establishes and... Mine too. Walls are, you know, it's important. I mean, if you're in your home, you have you know, I mean, it's just, it's a part of... It's security of, it's the security of the sovereignty. And, you know, as far as all the mushy, soft, and we are very compassionate people, and uh, I love that, where the people that get to stay, and yes, they can so that's a penalty for that, but look what happens to your children. You know, yeah, you have a future. Blessing right. But, yeah, the wall, to me, that's just my opinion. Okay. Thank you. Jim, take us out.
Is this going to be a long one? Don't well me. Come on. It's 801. Yeah. Right. Right. Mexico. Mexico, 10 years, six months a year. We could not earn a living there. Right. We got no, none of their benefits. We could buy their products, you know, but we could not. Why is it that we can't get this sort of thing in our country? Because the people that have the answers aren't participating in government, and it's time to participate. Okay? We, we, we know all the problems, but we don't participate in the solutions. Get busy. All right. Nope, that's it. But you, you were so nice last night in the council meeting and what you said coming all the way from Idaho. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. In a presidential election, non-presidential election is 12%. All right. Um, is there any press in here or anyone who's going to report to the press? Because you're not allowed. All right? Um, I have to be careful. Our Sunday night prayer service. Do you remember in our circle gym we prayed for David Lane? Yeah. Monday, he's in the Navy mess at the White House. And he gets a 40-minute meeting with the vice president. He walks over and he waits. And he wasn't even scheduled to meet him. And there's three people talking. And he waits for them to finish. And the vice president looks over his shoulder. And he said, "Uh, Mr. Vice President, I just want to come over and say hello. And he goes, okay. He said, Mr. Vice President, my name's David Lane. And he said this. And I told David this the time I was at the White House. I saw Mike Pence. I said, uh, he goes, he said to Sean Spicer, Sean, how do you know the good pastor? And he said, um, a trip to Israel with, with David Lane. David Lane, you tell him thank you for winning that election for us. And I told David that, and he goes, nah, he doesn't even know who I am. So David's there, and he, he says, Mr. Vice President, I just want to come over and say hello. And he goes, uh, my name's David Lane. He goes, you're my hero. Amen. And he said, um, he said, the blue wall came down because of your efforts. Largest evangelical participation in any, any election of, of, of date. So you, you're asking that question? Go do something. That's what we did. I got to tell you, I flew in, was it 10 weeks to 10 different cities? I was exhausted. I spoke in place. I woke up in hotels, a place I didn't even know where I was. It was an enormous amount of work. And then not only are you speaking, but you're contending with every pastor that wants to come up and talk to you. And it's just a stream of humanity. And I'm one person. Imagine if everybody decided to do something and be engaged. The difference you could make. Yeah. Good. Yeah. If some knucklehead like me can participate in the process, and anybody can do it. I mean, this is to give you hope. Look at me. <laughs> All right, it's 8.05. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming out tonight.